promise. And at the end of that study, I uh, looked back at how many promises I had identified. There are actually a few more, but what I had written down in the study were 50. And I thought, wow, look how marketable that is, the 50 promises of Jesus. And uh, so actually, and I know that's silly, but actually we've been delving into, speaking into some of this. The promises of Jesus, if you have any kind of an understanding of who Jesus is, these promises are absolutely bona fide, 100% dependable upon, in your maneuvering through life. So what we're looking at are rock solid. You can build your uh, life on these. You can expect and have the audacity to expect Jesus to make good on these promises. So <clears throat> last week we talked about some, uh, or two weeks ago I think it was, navigating through Uh, the uh, life's difficulties with the promises of Jesus. This past week, Minda spoke wonderfully, and if you didn't get a chance to hear it, I highly encourage you to go to that website and hear it on SoundCloud, uh, the promise of Jesus that we would hear his voice. Building off of that, we're going to look today at the promise of Jesus to build his church, you and me, not the building, you and me, on unstoppable revelation from heaven. The promise of Jesus that he will build you and me on unstoppable revelation from heaven. If you have received Jesus, I want to encourage you, there is something inside of you that is completely unstoppable. So let me, do you believe that? So let me, let me clarify what we mean by this, because uh, how many of you would agree with me the Apostle Paul was following Jesus? if you know who the Apostle Paul was, like wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He talks about moments in his following of Jesus, as Jesus was leading him, to spending several nights in the deep. In other words, shipwrecked in the ocean and holding on to some piece of wood or whatever it is that he could float through the night. Does that look like being unstoppable? Or Paul and Silas being in prison? Now, we know the end of the story that they rejoiced and God opened up the prison doors and they got out But what about before those prison doors opened? They're in prison, like locks and chains, and have no guarantee that anything is going to happen. Does that look unstoppable? How many of you have or are in experiences, circumstances, that do not look unstoppable? I want to encourage us, there is something inside of every believer that is totally unstoppable in this world. And if we can tap into that element, regardless of what we go through, the world cannot stop the one who made it. And in so much as you and I are not living unto ourselves, doing our own thing, but following him, the world and all the forces in it, demonic, natural, whatever, cannot stop you in so much as you're following him because the world and all the things in it can't stop him. Some of you will start smiling in, in the next few minutes. <laughs> Looks like you're scrutinizing so far. We'll get there. So I want to encourage us. We're going to look at some, some, again, promises of Jesus, starting with Matthew chapter 16, if you'll turn with me there. Promises of Jesus, mainly around this big picture, that he will build his church, you and me, on unstoppable revelation from heaven. Yes. Matthew chapter 16. And so, Matthew chapter 16, if you start in the 13th verse, it says that as they were passing through the area of Caesarea Philippi, they being Jesus and the disciples who were closely following him, 
He, uh, he said to them, who do men say, or who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, uh, and so they kind of give him the report on what people are saying who this Jesus is. Now again, you have to think about this. Don't think about this in your Sunday school Bible knowledge of who Jesus is. There was no real guarantee of who Jesus was. They just knew this guy was doing miracles. And they were following him, and they believed that he was like the Messiah. He's, he's been sent to send this stuff. But he's asking them, who do people out there say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say Eli, uh, Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he turns it around and says, okay, who do you say that I am? The most important question. And Jesus still, in one way or shape or another, he's still asking us this question perpetually. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, stood up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Did you hear that? Flesh and blood. Let's talk in modern day language now, because I don't know about you, but that sounds like a gory horror story. Flesh and blood revealing something to me. What is that? He's saying no man, no earthly being has, told, has revealed this to you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter. Up till that point, he wasn't known as Peter. He was Simon, the son of John. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Promise of Jesus. Promise. So how many of you are believers in Jesus? To believe Jesus is to believe not just about him, it's to believe what he says. And he said, on this rock, I will build my church. Now we know the church, scripturally, is not a building. The church is people. Namely, those who have placed their faith in Jesus and have become born again by the Holy Spirit. That institution, if you will, Jesus said he will build it. Now you may ask, how, how come then there are so many people who are Christians who are like not, who have the gates of hell prevailing against them? Because it's that which is built on the rock the gates of hell can't prevail against. You following? Everything in my life that's built on Paul, gates of hell have the ability to prevail against. Everything in my life that is built in response to revelation from heaven, the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. So here it is. The promise is this. On this rock I will build my church. What are we talking about? On what rock? Flesh, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. What is the rock that Jesus said he'll build his church on? The rock is revelation. It's the, it's the phenomenon of the Holy Spirit opening up the eyes of human hearts to see spiritual truth that existed all along, but our sin and our fallenness keeps us from being able to see. Does that make sense? Every time the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, that is Jesus fulfilling his promise of building his church. Now, even having revelation from heaven, even having the Holy Spirit open our eyes, that doesn't mean that we're going to walk in it. You following? It's one thing for God to show me something. It's another thing for me to obey it and walk in it. 
But if we will obey and cling to that which He shows us in the face of circumstances howling at our hearts, telling us that it's not true, telling us to back off, telling us to no longer believe, if we will cling to the Word of God, the gates of hell ultimately will not prevail against it. And that Word that is like a seed that comes out of heaven and into our heart will ultimately grow up and begin to bear fruit through our lives that looks like the fulfillment of what He spoke to us. Jesus, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was able to say back to Peter, here's who you are. You've seen who I am. Now I'm going to be able to reveal who you are. And every time Jesus speaks and reveals something to us, it's not only us seeing into heaven and into the nature of God, having our eyes open to see, not just with our eyes, but the eyes of our heart, it's actually seeing into who we are in Him. You're going to smile in a little bit. So on this rock, what is this rock? It's the revelation of divine communication. The promise is, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus promises to build his church. And we can take, we can, we can guarantee that right now Jesus is building his church. Right now. That's what he's doing. In fact, there's nothing else really that Jesus promises or says that he's doing but he's, or building, but his church. That is what Jesus is doing. We may see him physically. That is what he's doing. Everybody who will listen to what he is saying, receive it and believe it and walk in it, despite the opposition, that is what he's building. You and I can live in his victory in this life to see the fulfillment of his purposes accomplished if we will believe. That's it. That sounds simple, right? Most of us don't do it. It's, it is, and it is simple. It's not hard. It's not, it's not complex. It's very simple. But, it, but it, will, it will take us through a press of believing against all hope. And I want to encourage you, the things that Jesus has or is speaking to you is worth clinging on to against all hope. There is, there is reward on the other end. So question for us is, are we receiving his word? Jesus is speaking. Are we listening? Are we leaning into it? Are we wanting it? Because that's what he's building his church on. The promise, second promise. We're going to touch on a few promises here. The second promise is that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I share shamelessly the same testimonies over and over of things that God's done in my life. And if, if this is the first time you're going to hear this, you, you know, if you stick around, you'll hear it again. <laughs> Unapologetically. Uh, because uh, to me, testimony of what authentic things that God has done never gets old. So when I was a new Christian, I've said it before, uh, all I knew of sexuality was what media and my 13-year-old brother and his pornographic magazines had taught me about sexuality. That's literally all I knew. There was no father, I mean, I had a father, but, you know, my parents just thought that that was normal. That was like the, you know, just what boys do. You know, they, there was, so there's no governing of that situation. It was just like, you know, so when I became a Christian at the age of 17, that was the only thing I knew about sexuality. And, um, and, there was, and that had a powerful grip on my mind, on my thoughts, and I didn't even know it was wrong. It wasn't like, you know, the church that I grew up in was pointing that out, or my parents were pointing out, or certainly my school or anything like that. But all of a sudden, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, and... Um, and he does think it's wrong. 
not that's wrong, it's my son, I've got a higher and a better way for you. And so as I began to feel the grieving when I would think on certain thoughts, when I would yield the temptation and look at that pornographic thing or look at that girl in a certain way or whatever, I began to feel the, the trapped in a prison that I, I didn't know how to get out of. And so it was just a perpetual like saying sorry over and over and over, but I didn't know how to get out of the prison. And eventually, one night on my bed in uh, my apartment in college, asking God, it's just like in the, in the instance, it wasn't some amazing angel of Gabriel came with his message or something. It was just like this subtle, just this little thing. And I, was, I realized the simple thing that all those girls that you've been taught to lust after their bodies, those are my daughters. And it was like I had a grid for my dad and the way he felt about my sister, his daughter, and seeing fathers and the way that they would, and no, no father would want his girl or no sane, healthy father would want his daughter to be used as a sex object. They're precious. They're, I, I, so I had a grid for understanding that, and I realized these are all his daughters. It's like sickening. It's repulsive for me to look at them in that way. Now, I was on a campus at that time where a lot of the girls looked at themselves as sex objects and wore clothes to reinforce that idea. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Getting attention from the boys. And, and even if they saw themselves as a sex object, to have another perspective about females that had never been shown me in my whole life, the little seed that came into my heart, I had something not just to resist the temptation, but now I had something else to look at girls in another way. Does that make sense? Yeah. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That revelation, that insight that came from heaven to give me what God had always seen about girls as a new thought and a new idea to replace, to displace my, what the world had put on me, as I began to exercise, every time I had temptation to exercise that other way of seeing girls, the power and the grip of that temptation began to lessen and to lessen and to lessen. And it wasn't overnight, but over time, I turned around eventually and realized I am no longer in that prison. Yeah. I'm not gripped by this thing anymore. Yeah. Let me tell you something. On this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Sexual lust is come straight out of the gates of hell. It is a perversion of, and a twisting of the original intent that God had given for sexuality to twist it around and make it something selfish and evil and hurtful ultimately as opposed to loving and, and good and marital uh, union and family and love and blessing. You follow what I'm saying? It's out of the gates of hell. The only device that I had that would have victory over that power of, of, of hell was revelation from heaven. You and I, every single thing that God speaks to our hearts that reveals something of his kingdom, that, my friends, the gates of hell can't prevail against it. The issue is, what do we believe? What do we believe? I'm telling you, seeds of the word of God, seeds of revelation from heaven are going into our heart regularly and they're falling by the wayside. Or we're seeing it and we get excited about it, but then we forget about it because of the pressures of this earth or whatever. I'm telling you, grip onto that thing like a bulldog. 
I'm from Georgia. We've got the Georgia Bulldogs. You grip onto that thing like a bulldog and don't let go of it. I'm telling you, that thing will ultimately prevail as you continue to believe. You'll smile in a little bit. So, right now, I would also like to remind us as a church that, uh, you know, Jody and Vanessa Ramiro came. And I know I'm saying this a lot lately, too, but I'm just keeping it in front of us on a regular basis. From East L.A., awesome, wonderful people. How many of you remember Jody and Vanessa? They lead a church in East L.A., Restoration Los Angeles, planted about eight years ago. Urban context, so they've got something to kind of speak into our also urban context. Vanessa is very prophetic, and, and while she was here, she had this dream and uh, the dream was basically about mourning and this group of people mourning and there was a casket and that, and, and that uh, it was dark and gloomy and sad and that there was this one woman and as this woman just began to celebrate and it was just kind of this odd thing but just celebrate that there was a twitch in the body in the casket and ultimately that body comes up and the celebration that this woman is doing brings back resurrection life to this body and then everybody is like celebrating because of what they just saw and she woke up and she felt like God that, that had dream had been prophetic and that that, that crowd of, of mourners represents the gloom and the depression in the city of Detroit and that the woman was the bride of Christ and the church the church and uh, as the church celebrated in the midst of the negative horrible circumstances you, you follow what I'm saying sometimes we dance Sometimes we shout and get excited, not because of how great things are, but because of what we see with the eyes of our heart of of how great He is. In the midst of the circumstances, that that actually is resurrection life. It will bring out of death. And and what uh, Vanessa didn't know is that the Lord had begun to stir in me some things about the story of Lazarus, who, if you don't know, was in a tomb for four days, and the Bible says that his body had begun to stink. Now, if you don't know, like, what causes the body to stink when it's dead, I don't want to go into the details, but it's not very nice. But there is no hope of such a body coming back to life, let me tell you. And Jesus showed up on that scene, and he spoke resurrection life, and Lazarus came out of the tomb. Some of us in here feel like our circumstances are past human hope. And Jesus is the specialist in coming to a liquefied organ inside of a dead body and speaking life into it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, because I'm not dealing with liquefied organs in my life, but I am dealing with other bad stuff. And Jesus speaks resurrection life into human hopelessness. And so what I want to say, why am I saying this? Because what G- this is stuff that Jesus is speaking to us as a church. And he first starts talking to me about this Lazarus thing, and I'm encouraging the church, and without even knowing about that, Vanessa has this prophetic dream about dancing and rejoicing in the midst of death and brokenness, and that he, he will bring resurrection life. Do you hear the voice of the Lord in that? Yeah. I would say that as we are faithful to receive that and do something with it and live by it, I don't care, as I said a couple weeks ago, if you guys think I'm a flake as I start dancing around here. I don't care. I'm not dancing. I, I, I'm... I, if I'm going to jump up because the Dodgers hit a home run in the World Series, surely the revelation of who Jesus is is, is worthy of some kind of celebration. You, it's, not, it's not like you're less spiritual if you don't do that. That's not the point. It, the point is, let's 
celebrate through the nastiness when we're in the prison, when we're spending the night in the deep of the, of the ocean, when we're hanging on a cross and people are looking at us like, where is your God now? Resurrection is on the other side of that. <laughs> if you continue to cling. So let's go to John 14. We're going to look at a couple other promises that Jesus made relative to him building the church on unstoppable revelation from heaven. Are you understanding what I'm saying about unstoppable revelation from heaven? I know that we don't necessarily talk that way normally. I hope that that's clear what we're talking about. He opens up the eyes of our heart. And if you look with me to John chapter 14, starting in verse 25, just want to read these two scriptures, 25 and 26, and then make some comments on it. The promise is that the Holy Spirit will continue to teach and lead us as Jesus did his disciples. So verse 25 says, Jesus, now I want you to picture the scene. He's in the Last Supper. This is like the final words with his, the ones that he had spent the most of his time with. This is the, these are the ones that he was about to hand over the leadership of this church that was about to start after he leaves. And this is a precious, heart-to-heart, final moment with those he had walked closely with. And these are some of the words that he says. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. I want you to pay close attention to that. While being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the promise, what's the promise here? Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will teach us. Now, it's exactly the same as this thing that I just mentioned. Lazarus, and then Vanessa having this prophetic dream. Do you, do you know, that, that is a fulfillment. That is exactly what Jesus was talking about. That's the Holy Spirit continuing to teach his church after Jesus left the church physically. I, ho- I hope that we can hear that. Jesus starts, or the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me out of this Lazarus story. Vanessa has this prophetic dream, all completely biblically aligned. And it's clear there's a theme of what the Holy Spirit is speaking. That's the Holy Spirit teaching us instead of uh, Jesus physically being with us physically. The Holy Spirit is with us. So the promise is that he will teach us. And uh, if we can go back to that beginning, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. What I want you to understand is that when Jesus was here physically, the disciples had been used to hearing Jesus, actually had been used to hearing God through the physical body of Jesus. Does that make sense? They had spent time with Jesus and there was an aura about him. There was something different that we never felt on any other human being. There's something about him. You know what that thing was? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit, God, on flesh and in flesh. I mean, God had spoken through prophets before, but never had somebody been the container, if you will, of the Holy Spirit in the form of a body. So these disciples who had followed him were used to hearing the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit through this person, Jesus. And it was going to freak them out because they've been so used to something. How many of you have ever been used to one thing and then when it's taken from you, you kind of freak out? Yeah. 
used to a certain job or a certain source of income or a certain relationship in your life, they were going to freak out because they had been living for three years hearing the voice, this voice from the person of Jesus, and now the person of Jesus in bodily form, he was leaving. But he said, I am going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. What I'm getting at is in no lesser measure than the disciples had the voice of God directly through the person of Jesus, does anybody who has received Jesus have that same voice of God, except now it's not coming externally into our ear, it's inside of us. Now, how many of you want unstoppable revelation from heaven? How many of you know just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're actually hearing? You know that. I mean, I can have a relationship with my father-in-law, but just because he's my father-in-law doesn't mean I actually hear what he has to say to me. I actually have to spend time, like I did over coffee earlier this week, to hear him. And the same is for you. You can be a child of God. doesn't mean that you're hearing what he's saying. The posture of your heart determines if we are hearing from God. And so let's go into the next... Actually, before we go into that, you can flip to Matthew chapter 5, but while you're doing that, I just want to point this out from the scripture we just read. It says that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Now, what does that even mean, in my name? And a lot of Christians pray in the name of Jesus. And, and what it basically is, is it's like the way we sign off on prayer. You know what I mean? Like 10-4 over and out, copy, you know. In Jesus' name. It's like, you know, we're done with the prayer. You, do you follow what I'm saying? Do you know that Jesus never taught us to pray that way? I'm not saying that it's wrong to say in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer. I do it like habitually. It's not what Jesus meant at all. Whom the Father will send in my name. That means in the stead of Jesus, on his behalf. So if I had a, just completely random, if I had a message that I wanted to send to the people of DRMM, And I said, uh, David, you have access into that place. I want you to send this message to the people at DRMM. And he could hear what I have to say, and then he could go to there and he could tell it. He would be telling them the message in my name. Does that make sense? The Father will send the Holy Spirit in his name so that this Holy Spirit we receive, it's not some other entity, because we oftentimes treat the Holy Spirit like it's some kind of, I don't even know what. All the Holy Spirit is is representing the person of Jesus exactly as he is, except no longer is he physically with us. It is a spirit that through spiritual communion in the inside of us, we hear him continuing to teach us exactly as he did 2,000 years ago physically with his disciples. And there is no difference how we follow him today as how they followed him then. And let me clarify what we mean by that. Today, this is what most of us think of following Jesus. We sit in a chair one day a week, and then we kind of go into our world and we kind of maybe hopefully have some kind of prayer life or something and maybe have a relationship with other people who have the same convictions and spiritual beliefs that we do. The followers 2,000 years ago followed somebody, oftentimes left their career, left their family in some cases, left everything to follow that voice wherever it was going. That's what it means to be a believer. 
You'll smile in a little bit. <laughs> that is what it means to follow Jesus. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are proclaiming Him to be Lord. That's what lordship looks like. And to be able to follow Him in such a way, we have to know His voice. Let me give us a tip on how to hear His voice. And then something that I want to follow up on what happens as a result in our prayer life when we do hear His voice. Matthew chapter 5. Going back to those uh, blessed be or the beatitudes, we nailed three of them or touched on three of them two weeks ago. Here's another one. Another promise from Jesus. Verse 5, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. That's what revelation from heaven is. Unstoppable revelation from heaven is seeing God. And it's verse 8. Thank you, Minda. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. That's a promise, first of all. Let me, let me remind us of that. Pure in heart, guaranteed promise to see God. That, that's an exciting, actually encouraging promise. You're guaranteed to see Him. But what does pure in heart actually mean? I would say that it actually has something to do with, I mean, think about it. This is like pure water right here. Don't want to spill it. It's almost like if I added some other, I don't have red dye or purple food coloring or whatever, but it would start to change this, right? And it's almost like the vision that's able to pass through that water would become tainted. And Jesus is saying the pure in heart, that, that, that which doesn't have other things coming into it to cloud the picture, the pure in heart will be able to see God. To have the eyes of their heart opened up like a veil being lifted to see uh, past the veiled image. Have you guys ever seen a, a bride with a veil over her? And you can kind of see a little bit of what she looks like, but you can't really see. And then you lift the veil and all of the nuances and the details of her face become visible. And that's the exact same thing of what revelation is, is the lifting of the veil of our heart that we kind of had an image of God, an image of his kingdom, and then we see it. We see it with the eyes of our heart. We see it. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. And what, what does that actually mean? It's pure is to be single. So all of you unmarried people, you can know. Pure means it's not mixed with other things. So let me give you an example. It, it, it ultimately boils down to trust. Singleness of trust. Singleness of what you're looking to. So when I was... Uh, uh, back when I was like 17, I don't know how old I was actually, but long story short, growing up, we had a dog in our backyard. His name was Buddy, and he was like a black lab in a mix. And in this backyard, we had a, like, a, a, like a pulley, if you understand what I mean. There was a long wire that connected from the back of our deck to a point on a tree that was about as, so, as high. And then there was a pulley that went along that line, and that pulley was, was attached to his leash. And so Buddy would run around the backyard, and he could go that way and this way, and he could go as far as his leash would allow him, but it was all along this pulley, right? Now, the dog didn't understand this mechanism. So the dog would inevitably go over to the tree, Buddy, and he would get like wrap around the tree, and he would go through a bush, and then I would hear this barking, 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 and Buddy's got himself stuck again. So I'd go into the backyard, and he's like stuck. And, and when I would go to the backyard, he would have this leash connected to his collar. And, and 
you could see, I could see, it's wrapped around the bush, and, and I would know he needs to go around this, and then he needs to go around this tree, and then to untangle himself. Buddy couldn't see that. All Buddy could see is, I want to go there, and every time I lunge forward, I can't get there. So he would be like, oh, oh, oh. And, and it would be so silly because as a human with my brain, I can see, no, to get there, you actually need to go back here and then around there and then through here and then you can go there. But all he could see is I want to go there. Let me ask you something. How many of you in this room, when God is looking at you and you're barking and you want to go there and you're just, and God is saying, follow me around here. You need to go here. You need to go here. And you're, like, no, buddy, like, follow me, trust me. Do you follow what I'm saying? Blessed are the pure in heart. Purity of heart is if Buddy would have just said, Paul, me, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the master here. I'm the one who knows the way. Just kind of submit himself and recognize he has a dog brain, I have a human brain. I can help him. I can do him some good if he'll just trust me. If he'll just have purity of heart and not kind of have his thing, he wants to go this way, but I also kind of know that you know some stuff, and so I'm kind of fighting here, but I'm kind of yielding, but I'm kind of fighting. Purity of heart, you'll see God. Is that making sense? It's that singleness of, I've come to that place where I do not trust in myself, I do not trust in, in other people as my source, I do not trust in circumstances. God, you are my source for whatever it is I'm walking through. You will, in that place, I guarantee you, that place of worship where you, it's not just words out of your mouth, it's a posture of your heart where you come to a place where, you, God, you, I submit it all. It's in that place where you will begin to see God in your heart. And it's good. Okay, let's end here. John chapter 16. You doing okay? I have 35 seconds left. That's probably not going to happen. Um, John chapter 16, and I actually want to read it out of order. You'll understand what I mean in just a second. If you can start with me in, in verse 25, it's that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will reveal and we will receive whatever we ask for that he reveals. I'll say that again. Jesus promised that that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will reveal. And whenever we ask for what he has revealed to us, we're going to have it. Please hear that. Because so many of us spend our time in prayer praying all about what we want, our own prayers, our own thoughts, when there's a much higher way as a child of God. It's prayer that is fueled by what the Holy Spirit shows us. And if we would spend more time listening and less time talking, then the talking that we do would be way more effective. Because in fact, whenever we talk in a place of prayer, based on the things that he's revealed us, we are guaranteed ultimately to receive what we ask for. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend time in boring prayer that's just praying something amiss that's never going to even be answered anyway. John chapter 16, verse 25 says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Tell you plainly, that's to say that he promised that he will unveil inside of our heart, whereas before he had been speaking to them with his 
vocal cords in his mouth speaking to them and they were hearing it with their ear, in the future, you're going to know from the Holy Spirit inside of you. I, the person, the body, Jesus, I'm not going to be here with you, but the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to you and I'll continue to show you plainly so that you see it yourself on the inside. And if you go with me to verse 26, in that day, you will ask in my name. Does everybody remember what that means? You will ask in my name in the sense of somehow you have received communication from me so that when you're asking, you're not asking your own thoughts. You have received communication from me and you're asking God what I have shown you. You'll smile in a little bit. Please hear that. You will, you will ask God what I show you in my name. What's that? Ask him for what he's shown you. And I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Again, this is not using the name of Jesus as some religious incantation that we end our prayer with and believe that because we said the name Jesus, we're going to have whatever we ask for. So if I ask for a, a, a Porsche, then because I use the name of Jesus, I'm going to receive a Porsche. <laughs> Or, or whatever the crazy case is. Whatever Jesus asks, if I ask God in his stead, on his behalf, because my, my, my fellowship and my communion with Jesus, I have seen him. I've encountered him. I've seen what his will is, and now his will has become my will, and I'm praying to God out of his will, not my own will, his will. And as I pray his will, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which, by the way, is the basis of true prayer, as a disciple of Jesus, I can guarantee that it is going to be done. It doesn't mean that uh, it's going to be done right then and there, and it doesn't mean that I don't have to ask multiple times, but it will eventually be done. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that, uh, uh, sorry, let's, uh, let's go back up to verse 23 and 24, and we'll end it right here. I actually wanted to share those two verses first, and then land it with these two verses that come right before because it's actually quite powerful. Verse 23, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give, it, he will give you. There's your promise. Did you hear that? He promised that whatever we ask in his name, and we all know what in his name means now, whatever we ask, we will receive it. He will, the Father will give it to us. Verse 24, and until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Whatever you ask in his name, it's going to be given. Revelation, what the Lord speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, that is his will. And whatever we pray that is his will, it will always be given to us. That's the key. A couple tips I want to give you. Your will does not move mountains, his does. If I can tap into his will, I can pray. I can yell at the devil. I can yell at my circumstances. I can pray fervently, but as long as I'm just praying my own will, it doesn't have power. The moment I began as a child of God to speak his will in a place of prayer, I've got authority in his name. I carry as his child his authority in this earth. Praying his will. Your will doesn't move mountains, his does. Secondly, focus your here's the focus of your prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about relationship and fellowship. 
discovering his will so that we can pray and desire his will. Agreement between us and earth and heaven. Thirdly, whenever you see, first of all, when you're getting into the word, even right now, here in a place of church, hearing the word preached, I encourage you, read the scripture, study the scripture, spend some time in the scripture, and whatever, even if it feels so small, even if you don't even know if it's the Holy Spirit, whatever you feel, uh, even the slightest inkling of inspiration from the scripture, pray that immediately and continue to pray that and cling to it. I'm telling you, there is power in that. And then lastly, well, I already said it. So Jesus is going to build his church on Revelation. Hell can't stop it. I'm recapping everything we've said today. Jesus is building his church on Revelation and hell can't stop it. Jesus said he'd continue to lead us through the Holy Spirit exactly as he did when he was physically here. There's no difference at all 2,000 years later. He's still with us, still leading us. It's a matter of are we listening. Thirdly is our heart's purity determines whether we're seeing and hearing him. So it's that thing of just absolute devotion to him, looking to him. If I'm looking to him and I'm looking to Dan Gilbert, I'm probably not going to, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, he does. If I'm looking to him and the governor or the mayor or the whatever, or my boss or my girlfriend, what? Or the government. If I'm looking to him and I don't hear. If I'm looking to him desperate, I've got to have you, I hear. Sorry, I don't want to re-preach it. And then fourth is the Holy Spirit gives us revelation. And when we pray what the Holy Spirit reveals, we are guaranteed to receive it. That's good news. Yeah. Yeah. So let's spend time right now in, uh, we're going to partake of communion. And I've asked Kurt if he could just kind of uh, um, give us some kind of musical backdrop. But I want to encourage you right here, right now, to make this partaking of communion not just a ritual that we go through, but a presencing yourself in front of the Lord right here, right now, to open up your heart, to purify your own heart, and to posture your heart to want to receive revelation from your own relationship with Him. To yield your circumstances and the things that are burdening your heart to clear that out of the way so that what's in your heart is pure so that you can posture yourself to hear what Jesus is saying to you and to me. And as we do that, we tap into that which is unstoppable. So let's... um